Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Tax Notes Today International. This week, war and tax. Since February 24th, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II, with more than 10 million people being forced to leave their homes and countless casualties among those who remained. As of our recording today, April 20th, the war is ongoing, with Russian forces refocusing their efforts in the east of the country after failing to capture Kyiv and losing their Black Sea flagship. The Ukrainian people have mounted a fierce resistance to the invasion, and against long odds, the government in Kyiv continues to operate and make tax policy. Tax Notes reporter Sarah Pias will join us in a minute to tell us about her guest who spoke about the tax changes made in response to the invasion and what the future might hold. Later in the episode, we'll hear from Tax Notes International columnist Robert Van Brederode discussing his article on the ethical aspects of tax law and compliance. But first, Sarah, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be back. Now, I understand you recently spoke with someone about Ukraine's tax situation before and during the war. Could you tell us about your guest? Sure. So I spoke with Valeria Tarasenko. Uh, She's a tax advisor with Denton's, which is a multinational law firm with offices in Ukraine. So prior to the war, uh, she was based in Kyiv, but has since relocated to Austria with her family to escape the fighting. Valeria has over 15 years of tax experience advising Ukrainian companies on cross-border tax structuring and tax saving solutions, tax dispute resolutions and tax litigations, and resolution of cross-border tax controversies. So what sort of topics did you talk about? Well, we discussed some of the major changes to the Ukrainian tax system during the war. Um, So that's including large reductions in the corporate income tax rate and VAT and excise taxes on fuel. Valeria also told me about a relatively new tax regime created by the Ukrainian government to encourage the success of the IT services sector in Ukraine. It's been a boon for the IT industry during a war in which most sectors have been hit very hard economically. Finally, we looked ahead at some of the pending and possible future tax changes that could influence Ukraine's post-war economy. All right, let's go to that interview. Hi, Valeria. Welcome to the Tax Notes Talk podcast. It's so great to have you here. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of lead in with, you know, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine has been plunged into this war. So could you tell us a little bit about what the Ukrainian tax system has been like during wartime? Uh, Yes, uh, you're right. Unfortunately, Caused by uh, by Russian invasion, uh, it, it hit the Ukrainian economy a lot, and uh, we have to adapt to function in the wartime. And of course, our Ukrainian government um, make a lot of adjustments uh, to organize and support uh, Ukrainian business and um, try to uh, introduce some some system tax system that would uh, work both for the state and for the business. And nowadays, we are not speaking about some profits. We are speaking about the survival of the business. And key message which Ukrainian government addressed to all, all businesses and the population that for them, uh, for business have to maintain workplace for Ukrainians and hopefully create new workplaces for Ukrainians which relocated from the uh, eastern part to the central Ukrainian and uh, western Ukraine where it's more or less safe to operate business. Yeah, well, with that, so what are some of the changes that Ukrainian businesses have seen, specifically in their corporate income tax? 
Starting from the 1st uh, April, Parliament adopted the law, uh, and uh, according to which it's reduced uh, 18% corporate income tax and uh, 20% VAT to only a single 2% tax, uh, which is calculated based on, based on the revenue company had in the previous uh, quarter. So only one tax left, it's, uh, it's 2% revenue tax, which is obviously very low. But as a, uh, it's uh, totally voluntary, it's not uh, every business is obliged to transfer to the system. So any business which is, uh, feels that it will be, uh, taxes will be low under this 2% single tax, they can voluntarily transfer to this, uh, to payment of this uh, single tax. Uh, other companies, if, uh, if, for example, it doesn't fit to their business operations, or, uh, for example, their businesses uh, have not been hurt by this uh, uh, war situation in Ukraine, they can uh, continue paying regular taxes uh, as is prescribed uh, with, uh, during the regular time, not war time. But uh, according to statistics, uh, I saw that a, a lot of uh, comp Ukrainian companies, uh, middle size and large businesses, uh, have already transferred to the payment of this uh, 2% revenue tax. Uh, but the only disadvantage is this uh, 2% revenue tax has that taxes have to be paid in advance. So you are uh, calculating this 2% tax based on the results of the previous months and pay tax in advance. If business can afford this, of course, they transfer. If not, some businesses prefer to, to, uh, to, to stay on the regular system. Uh, secondly, uh, this system allows uh, exemption from um, VAT, uh, which uh, have to make uh, goods uh, supplied and services provided by Ukrainian companies or imported from outside of Ukraine make uh, be cheaper by 20% because we have 20% VAT in Ukraine. Plus, uh, uh, um, reporting system is also very simplified. So it's a very simple uh, procedure to, to, uh, to submit tax returns and pay accordingly taxes. Um, it's like if basically to describe uh, this uh, single, uh, this transfer to the single 2% revenue tax. That's very comprehensive. And also, it really sounds like the Ukrainian government is sort of giving this option to businesses in case, you know, they are really struggling. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about excise taxes and how those might affect, you know, the import and export of goods, you know, during the war and also VAT. So the VAT on the import and supply of petroleum has been reduced from 20% to 7%. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what that's offered to the Ukrainian forces and also potentially Ukrainian households? Uh, yes, actually, it, it means a lot because I remember after within two weeks after the invasion started, uh, prices to petroleum went like by, by 50%, which is a lot. It means that once uh, prices to petroleum went up, it means that prices to other products will also go up because uh, this log logistics, everything de depends on petroleum. And it was a very right uh, decision to cancel excise tax on import and supply of petroleum and petroleum-related goods, because uh, such, such goods are subject to 
excess in Ukraine. And plus, Parliament voted to reduce uh, VAT on petroleum uh, from 20% to 7%. And prices on petroleum for, for uh, uh, retail customers, it dropped significantly. And of course, it also um, like stopped prices on other goods, which are indirectly affected by their prices on petroleum in Ukraine. It was absolutely right decision. But as uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it or not, all these measures, are, it's temporary measures. It doesn't mean that it will, <laughs> these measures will continue after the end of the war. So it's just for the period of, uh, of the war uh, when government uh, declared uh, martial law status. Once the martial law status is terminated or cancelled, all these excise taxes and regular VAT rates will be applicable again. Support for this podcast is provided by SafeSend. Empower staff with tax automation software that is transforming the accounting profession. The SafeSend suite improves your firm's processes, from engagement letters and client organizers to assembly, delivery, and e-signing of tax packages, the SafeSend suite makes it easy. Clients love the intuitive, consistent experience at every step of the tax engagement. Staff love reducing the time they spend on manual labor-intensive tasks. Schedule a demo at safesend.com to see it in action. That's safesend.com. So I also wanted to ask, because you said these are temporary measures, of course, how is the Ukrainian government with all these tax changes and specifically cutting taxes in a lot of situations, how are they ensuring the sustainability of public revenue specifically during wartime? You know, it's very hard to speak about sustainability in our situation. It's a matter of survival. And when was started, uh, government actually declared that business, if you can, please, please pay taxes in advances. And a lot of businesses did, and they, they paid taxes in advance to support you, uh, to support uh, the state. But now uh, when economy is uh, dropping, and I saw the uh, reports from IMF that uh, Ukrainian GDP can shrink by, by 35% for 2022. So of course, it's, it's very hard to speak about sustainability of public revenues, but still government do their best to plan and to, to get some revenue from the taxpayers. As I said, for businesses, a key task to maintain workplaces for, for Ukrainian citizens. And unlike uh, uh, corporate tax, personal income tax, it was not changed or was not, no tax benefits was provided for, uh, for individuals or for, for, for their incomes, derived incomes. So uh, when Ukrainian citizens receive a salary, it will be still subject to 18% personal income tax, uh, uh, 1.5% uh, military tax and social contributions. So though all those taxes will go to the, to the state. Uh, so yes, like 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 this. And secondly, um, how how you, um, government try to fill in the budget? Uh, it's uh, uh, it managed to uh, to issue uh, military bonds, and it successfully sold among the Ukrainians. And of course, it's a financing from the um, uh, other states and from international institution as MEF. So yes, we are lending. Unfortunately, we have to lend money now. You've said before that, you know, the Ukrainian government and by extension, the Ukrainian tax system has kind of really been in survival mode during this time. Can you talk a little bit about what the tax administration has been doing? Have they suspended, you know, any of their regular scheduled actions? Are there things they're not doing? 
Yes, I would say that Ukrainian tax administration is uh, now very um, user-friendly. They really, they terminated and canceled all tax audits and uh, no tax audits is permitted now. And actually uh, all the guidelines, uh, how to apply these uh, tax benefits, which have been introduced, uh, new, new tax benefits, which have been introduced into the law, they are providing explanation how you have to apply, which is allowed, which is no. And I would say that they're uh, friendly to customers, unlike it was before, because they were, uh, their approach was always uh, fiscal. And um, it's first. Secondly, um, it's temporary um, tax liability uh, for violation of tax law. Violation is excluded, not, uh, not submission of uh, compulsory tax returns, certain tax reporting in time, or no, non-payment of taxes in time because the taxpayer doesn't have capacity to pay. Uh, its uh, penalties are not charged for these violations, but there is obligation after uh, within six months to do uh, to comply with uh, tax requirements after the um, extermination or expiration of the uh, martial law status. Uh, so now no penalties, tax penalties are charged to apply to taxpayer which is also a certain relief because uh, in some regions it was very hard to comply even to file tax return was hard. And what else, you know, has the tax administration done to make the war efforts easier? Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, how they're, the government's trying to shore up its coffers. What about in terms of donations to the war effort? What kinds of tax changes have you seen there? Yes, uh, we have like, I think like in every jurisdiction, so we have donation allowances. It's usually very small amounts. And uh, uh, government, uh, parliament adopted the law, which allows both to, co- uh, to companies and uh, e- Ukrainian citizens uh, to deduct part of the donations, which they donated to, uh, to for, for Ukrainian humanitarian needs, uh, to Ukrainian charity funds or uh, Ukrainian military forces. So. If you donate, you have to document, uh, provide certain evidence, uh, provide documents, evidencing that uh, you provided the donation. And uh, those amounts, a part of those amounts can be uh, deducted upon tax reporting uh, uh, for 2022, uh, which is which is, can be huge amounts in comparison to what, you, what was allowed before the war. Now, many industries have suffered during the war, as you've said, but actually, IT services seem to be doing fairly okay. Can you talk a little bit about how IT services are doing and what sorts of tax incentives the government has offered to them and particularly the DIA city law? Uh, yes, I think IT industry is the only industry which is uh, maybe will in, in the long term will benefit from this situation because for uh, IT specialists, you just need laptop and that's all and you can relocate in, in a, any place, whether in, within Ukraine or outside Ukraine and continue working. Yes, uh, indeed, we had a very great initiative from uh, our uh, president, which came into force uh, starting from the 1st January 2022, it's so-called DSCT law, which provided uh, the number of tax privileges and uh, legal privileges to companies which are working in IT sector. 
I would first speak about like key tax uh, benefit, which is DSCT law provides. Uh, it provides very low taxes on incomes paid to uh, employees or IT specialists engaged by, uh, by um, IT companies. It's only 5% personal income tax, uh, 1.5 military tax, and very insignificant social contribution, which is around $55 per month, which is nothing. So basically effective tax rate for IT specialists uh, working or engaged by, uh, by IT companies, 6.5%, uh, which is very, very low. <laughs> yes, I think uh, um, a lot of IT specialists worldwide prefer to work and stay and to be residents, tax residents of Ukraine and paying such, such a low taxes. But to be um, a resident, uh, like a company which is uh, can fall within this uh, DSCT regulation, it have to be pure Ukrainian company. So it's to be a legal entity registered in Ukraine, and its uh, activities uh, have to have to relate to uh, IT activity. There is very extensive list of activities which is treated like IT. It can uh, can be computer programming, cybersecurity, um, consulting, um, game development, and etc. Design a lot, a lot. So the list is really extensive activities. Uh, it's it's there like minimal number of requirements, but they are very doable. Like the minimum number of employees have to be not less than nine. Uh, average uh, seat, uh, average salary per month, it have to be around 1,200 uh, euro, which is also very affordable. Uh, activities, as I said, have to be uh, IT related. 90% of revenue have to be uh, received from, um, from the business activity, uh, from IT business activity. Uh, only 10% can be uh, like other types of activity like um, uh, dividends, for example, like passive incomes or something like this. And the founders or um, beneficial owners cannot be uh, from the jurisdictions uh, listed in the blacklist, from sanction, sanction list jurisdiction or from Russia, that's all. So, um, and this regime is still very attractive because uh, like part of Ukraine is still more or less safe, especially Western part. And uh, a lot of IT Ukrainian IT specialists have been relocated to, to those areas and they is, they is, and their companies also re-registered to those uh, to those areas and they still can apply this DSCT, a very favorable DSCT regime. And um, yes, uh, I see that uh, I still have requests from some international IT companies or some multinational companies, but with IT, large IT departments uh, to register a legal entity in Ukraine for IT purposes. And they and we have we I see that a lot of job uh, vacancies are open for IT sector as well. In now even now during the war time because of this very beneficial tax regime for IT sector. And do you know how many businesses have taken advantage of this law? I think every every uh, IT company operating in Ukraine have already registered before the war or try to register now. Because as I said, it's really very beneficial. It's, it gives a lot of uh, uh, benefits to, uh, to IT sector in Ukraine. Support for this podcast is provided by the University of California, Irvine School of Law Graduate Tax Program. Ranked number one on the West Coast and number five nationwide, this innovative program prepares students to practice tax law at the highest level in the U.S. and abroad. Featuring a low student-to-faculty ratio, cutting-edge technology instruction, and dedicated career support, 
UCI's graduate tax program helps prepare students for a future in tax law. Program graduates are placed in top tax-related industries, practicing law in many major U.S. cities. Applications are open now. For more information and to apply to this highly selective program, visit law.uci.edu slash gradtax. That's law.uci.edu slash gradtax. I wanted to turn now to sort of a future look. And sometimes it's hard to sort of think about what the future could look like, but allow yourself to imagine. So what tax legislation is expected in the post-war time? As you've said, many of these laws that you've gone over, they're going to expire once martial law ends. So what's ahead for the post-war period? Yes, uh, it's very hard to predict what changes will be, but I'm sure that after the war, uh, many changes will be introduced depends on the needs in Ukraine. And first needs, we have to rebuild those uh, areas which have been completely destroyed. We have to build new houses, new apartment buildings for, for those people who used to live in that regions. So I'm sure that will be some special tax um, preferences uh, for, for construction, for um, residential construction, for infrastructure projects, I'm sure that will be. I didn't see, there is no draft laws, but uh, uh, at least I see that a tax committee of the Ukrainian parliament start discussion that we, we need to figure out some, some model which will allow Ukraine to rebuild as soon as possible these um, areas which will destroy it, which were destroyed. Uh, secondly, uh, we, uh, like uh, as a nation and, and uh, as a state, they realize that this um, uh, aggression from Russia will stay even when we sign peaceful agreement. So we uh, have to really invest into the development of uh, military industry. Uh, so I also uh, expect that there will be some special regulation, maybe special law for military, military industry, including some tax tax uh, tax regulation for development of this uh, sphere as well. And one one initiative, which uh, like draft of law, which is already in the parliament and under consideration, it's about additional taxation of multinational companies which have both operations in Ukraine and still active operations in Russia, companies which uh, have not uh, have not with, withdraw from the Russia. And they want to introduce like a special uh, special tax uh, one is at least now discussed 1.5%. Uh, in addition to the corporate tax, ecology tax, property tax, so this multinational subsidiaries paying in Ukraine. Uh, I, I would say that uh, now this uh, draft law is heavily criticized because um, like criteria, it's not very clean and it can be interpreted in different way and, be, and um, subsidiaries of multinational companies which are um, operating in Ukraine, they really like like, no, you have not uh, voted for this law. But I think subject to discussion and some uh, amendments, it mo will most likely will adopt it like within next month. Uh, so it's like it's uh, this uh, post-war time uh, legislation, tax legislation and tax, uh, tax uh, developments I expect uh, in the future. Well, thank you so much, Valeria. That was a very interesting conversation and just gave a really great rundown of uh, what's happening in Ukraine on the tax side. Thank you. And now, coming attractions. Each week we highlight new and interesting commentary in our magazines. Joining me now is Acquisitions and Engagement Editor-in-Chief Paige Jones. Paige, what will you have for us? 
Thanks, Dave. In Tax Notes Federal, Sunita Dubé and Stanley Rutchelman explore the interplay of the revenue rule and the COMEX cases. Sarah Hinchcliffe and B. Anthony Billings review both the history and ongoing presence of the rule against perpetuities. In Tax Notes State, James Dawson Jr. and Sonia Shake provide an overview and analysis of the new Maryland digital advertising tax. Billy Hamilton examines New Mexico's efforts to jumpstart hydrogen energy infrastructure. In Tax Notes International, four KPMG practitioners examine how companies can better use transfer pricing processes and technology to prepare for regulatory and reporting changes. Vadim Medvedev details war-related changes to Ukraine's tax regime in a letter to the editor. In featured analysis, Joe Thorndike praises Tax Day as a celebration of citizenship and fiscal-mindedness. On the opinions page, the Tax Notes commentary editors share the topics they hope to see covered this spring, like infrastructure, space and taxation, and critical tax theory. And now, for a closer look at what's new and noteworthy in our magazines, here's Tax Notes Executive Editor for Commentary, Jasper Smith. Thanks, Paige. I'm here with Robert Van Brederode, the founding partner of Brederode Tax. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Oh, thank you for having me. So we're really excited to be working with you on a new column that you're writing for Tax Notes International titled, Tax Matters. So can you tell us generally the type of topics that you have covered and that you'll be covering going forward in your column? Yeah, when I discussed with the editor of Tax Notes International, she particularly has to do some value-added tax since that is a field I'm an expert in, so I will do that. I did one already, or I submitted one at least. But I will take a more philosophical approach to tax. I'm interested in that and Several columns will go about that. And then I will take up things that just appear, a new court case that I think is important to discuss, then I will do that. Very nice. We look forward to that. So we're here today to really discuss your most recent article, which is titled Ethical Equilibrium in Taxation. So can you give us just an overview of that article? Yes, actually, I did a book, Ethics and Taxation. I'm the contributing editor of that book that was published in January 2020. And I I borrowed from there to write this column. I thought it was interesting to share uh, the thoughts I had uh, in both the introduction and and the chapter I did in the book. Uh, Our idea is this, that uh, the basic idea is actually quite simple, is that there is a balance, an equilibrium between our obligation to pay taxes and fairness of taxation. It may surprise you whether most people will agree that we have a moral obligation to pay taxes since we're part of society and we have to pay for the cost of government. I say, well, that is true, but that is balanced by the fairness of taxation. If a tax is not fair, then your obligation to pay it will become less as well. And I compare it, and I don't know whether you remember that. I think it is in junior high school where you have this equilibrium test. They have a glass tube connected to other glass tubes at the bottom. With a little gap, you can close and open that. If you fill the first tube to the top and keep the tap closed, of course it's full, but when you open the tap to the second uh, tube, that tube will go up and the first one will go down and it will be at the same level, right? And if you do a third one, it goes down in the other two, the third one goes up and they will all be on the same level. And my... uh, premise is basically that the same is true for the balance between obligation to pay taxes 
and the fairness of taxes, and they extend that to tax compliance and tax enforcement. So there are four cubes, so to speak. But the idea is this, yes, you have to pay the taxes, but if the tax is unfair, then your obligation will become less too. And most people will respond to unfair taxes by actually less compliance. And then I put in tax enforcement. Tax enforcement is a necessary pillar because if people could just not pay taxes and get away with it, then of course tax morale will go down and other people will say, well, then I'm not paying either. You know how that is. So we need tax law enforcement, but tax law enforcement by itself should be ethical as well. You can, of course, go too far in your tax uh, enforcement and be unfair. So I think that the IRS in the US should deal with taxpayers fairly and be honest and straightforward. And then they can expect you to do the same thing. I mean, that will be reasonable. So that are the four pillars and that is the balance. So I take that through. I, I start with an example. Assume that you have a totally immoral tax law. And I think to give the example of a tax law that has basically say, well, let, let, let's have uh, government going to kill all people to save uh, social security. So we have a social, safe social security tax. That sounds great, but it actually means just imagine when you're 85 years old, you get a nice box from the government with a ribbon around it uh, and a pill in there and say, thank you for your service for 85 years, but we have to save social security. So this is the end of, of your trip. And you say, well, the end of your journey. And you say, well, that is totally immoral. Or you have a law that says you have to pay a tax so that funds forced abortions on women belonging to a minority that the government doesn't like. Just imagine it sounds absurd, but if you look at, at history, what kind of regimes we have had, those things could happen. That are totally immoral tax laws if you use tax to fund that. And I think you have not only the moral right, actually the moral obligation to refuse to pay those. Now that is of course simple. If I say this, you will say, I agree with that. Uh, everybody agrees with that. But what do we do? if a tax is fair. What does that mean? Does that mean you have to pay the maximum? If there is a maximum, uh, you have to pay the minimum. Where is that? And that is an old question and a difficult one. So in the past, we had in the UK, which is also a common law country, that was a case where they say, we take form over substance. If it is allowed under the law, you can reduce your taxes to the, the very amount possible. And it was because they see taxes as appropriation of private property, and why would you not be able to reduce that? And that view is still shared by many, but not by all. And, and you could say, well, you know, that means you're going to go by any means to reduce your taxes. Is that going too far? And I think, yes, that disturbs the ethical balance a little bit. And was also restored in the UK with, with the Ramsey case that came later. And... In, in, in the US, with, uh, you could find it by statement by Arthur Wendell Holmes, an associate justice in the uh, Supreme Court, saying, well, you know, taxes are the price you pay for civilization. So you need to balance there with what you can do. So I tried to see in the article where that balance is. And uh, I think actually it has been found. There is still a lot of pressure on companies and private individuals to pay more or do less tax planning. But tax planning is allowed to this to the same, to, to the extent that we don't know how much tax you have to pay. Tax law is not really that that, that particular. So tax law of tax planning is reasonable. Sometimes you have to, because certainly in the international context, you can have 
that you have to pay taxes in two states at the same time. And people say, well, that's not the idea of the tax law precisely. So you have to do some planning to make sure you only pay once. Of course, if you plan to pay zero, you could say, well, now the ethical balance is disturbed by you because your planning is a bit too aggressive. So you have to find that balance. And I think we have that by purposeful interpretation that we see in common law countries like the US, uh, Canada, and the UK, and Australia. But you also find it on continental Europe, where, uh, of course, they uh, have a civil law system. They have the same approach. They, approach. they look at what was the idea, the purpose of the law, which some people call the spirit of the law. As long as you stay within the spirit of the law, you can do tax planning. So that gives you uh, a sort of a bandwidth. The minimum of the tax you have to pay, of course, is the minimum prescribed by the law. The maximum is what is allowed according to the, the spirit of the law. That means that there is not a fine red line to be drawn saying, if you cross that, you're wrong. No, that, that red line will differ from situation to situation because everybody's facts are different and the law is not clear. It's impossible to be clear. So yes, that would mean that you get more court cases sometimes where people, where there is a dispute between the IRS and the taxpayer for the reason. But I'm trying to make the point that there is not an absolute fine red line that you cannot cross. It will always be like this. And I think that's a good thing. No, it, it definitely sounds like you took a, a pretty comprehensive approach. And these are issues that should be on the mind of of anyone who's involved directly or indirectly, certainly in the tax arena or in the policymaking world. So look forward to reading that. And I'm sure our, our listeners do as well. So can we get you to tell us where they can find you online if they wanted to learn more about your work? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's that's the easy way to find me. And it gives an overview of my academic publications as well. Uh, the firm is braidroadattacks.com. So that is simple. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Robert. We appreciate you joining us today on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me again. And you can find Robert's article online at taxnotes.com. And please be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel, Tax Notes, for more in-depth discussions on what's new and noteworthy. Again, that's Tax Notes with an S. Back to you, Dave. That's it for this week. You can follow me online at TaxStew, that's S-T-E-W, and be sure to follow at TaxNotes for all things tax. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. And as always, if you like what we're doing here, please leave a rating or review wherever you download this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com podcast. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Support for this podcast is provided by the District of Columbia Bar. The District of Columbia Bar's tax community will hold its annual Tax Legislative and Regulatory Update Virtual Conference on May 4th and 5th, 2022. Register now to engage in timely panel discussions on hot topics, including legislative and regulatory updates on corporate, partnership, and individual taxation, tax-exempt reforms, international tax, including the latest OECD developments, taxation of financial products, compensation and benefits tax, and more. 
Speakers include high-profile government officials from Treasury and the IRS, as well as staff of the Congressional Tax Committees and private sector experts. The conference is virtual and open to all. DC Bar membership is not required to attend. Visit dcbar.org to register today. That's dcbar.org. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.